0: Hey, guys, it's Abdul for your good friends over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Well, for the most part, the holidays, I'll admit it, The holiday seasons are pretty much here. So might as well go ahead and start your holidays, Christmas, Hanukkah, you know, kind of Cremonza shopping, no matter what it is. So might I recommend our good friends over at Leon Tailoring. Get your girl up on a nice gift certificate for some good clothes over at Leon Tailoring. They get something ready-made, something custom-made, or something tailor-made. No matter what it is, you can find it over at Leon Tailoring. Tell Larry, Norm, Kim, and Judy, Abdul sent you. They'll take care of you. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Well, as Indiana lawmakers get ready to come back, we take a look at some of the issues that will be facing Hoosiers and the upcoming legislative session. And so, uh, starting with our conversation is our good friend, Brian Tabor of the Indiana Hospital Association. So, Brian, my friend, first of all, thank you very much. How have you been? Doing okay. Doing okay. It's getting
1: cold out there, <laughs> uh, walking down to see you here on on the circle. Uh, but uh, it's been challenging, a lot of challenges in healthcare right now, for sure.
0: Uh, so, what are the big things uh, impacting Indiana hospitals these days?
1: You know, right now, uh, dealing with a couple things. Kind of some general uh, financial headwinds for the industry, uh, uh, across the board, uh, impacting um, kind of really everyone, I think, from our largest health systems to the smaller hospitals. Uh, surges in pediatric. Uh, care right now, a lot of kids who have been sick with RSV and other respiratory uh, respiratory viruses. I know a lot of parents are concerned about that. Uh, we've seen uh, that really hit early, and that's uh, caused a capacity crunch for our children's hospitals here in Indianapolis, but also in the north and south of the state. So, uh, you know, COVID infections are are down and have stayed down relatively, but uh, worried about flu and some other things on the horizon.
0: Uh, I know uh, COVID uh, took a took a had a major impact. Uh, on the state of Indiana. Have hospitals recovered from COVID yet? Uh,
1: I, maybe f- in the sense that COVID infections are down, uh, but I would say what hit the, what hit hospitals over the last couple of years, we've not recovered. And the main area of, of, of kind of fragility is, is in workforce, uh, for sure. Uh, we have many, many frontline caregivers who stepped back, uh, retired early, Uh, took a position in healthcare but maybe outside of the hospital not in the ICU and we have uh, workforce shortages I know certainly I think all industries are feeling that but ours are just incredibly severe right now it's it's uh, the number of open positions is at uh, historic uh, highs and it's really difficult as you know Healthcare workers require a lot of training. It takes a long time for someone to get through school. So when somebody steps away from the industry, uh, there's a long... It's
0: not like like McDonald's, you can replace them tomorrow.
1: Right, right. Certainly a longer uh, time. And even when you have uh, an intensive care unit nurse with 20 years experience, they retire, someone else comes in, it takes a while to get to kind of that full capacity. So we're going to be facing some severe workforce issues uh, for, I think, for years to come. But um, we're hopeful that some legislation next session can help us out.
0: I remember uh, reading a survey about, uh, basically, Indian hospitals have been switched to sort of virtual nurses and physicians to sort of help mediate. Uh, like I said, this worker shortage you guys are having.
1: Yeah, I, everything is really on the table. I I, I think that's one strategy. It's not going to solve the the whole issue. Uh, healthcare is a, a very labor intensive uh, sector. It's a service. Uh, uh, you know. Industry, if you will and uh, we still need a lot more bodies uh, but technology can help uh, so uh, kind of there are everything from robots that can help bring medicine to a patient's room telehealth we had a major uptake in telehealth during the pandemic and what one of the things we want to see are some of the regulations and some of the payment models for telehealth that helped us expand that uh, lots of expansion in rural areas uh, for example we, we want that to continue that will help us meet some of the demand but we just um, people are sicker too we we, we see Hoosiers uh, needing more care on average than they did even before uh, COVID so uh, we still need a lot of uh, a lot of healthcare professionals in our facilities
0: uh, it's funny you bring that up because I know the governor uh, as they're putting together their uh, legislative agenda they had their healthcare commission come out with a recent report uh, basically spending like either 250 or 350 million dollars in change uh, to sort of sort of help get Indiana sort of healthcare in line uh-huh.
1: Yeah, something, and in full disclosure, I served on the, the commission, the Public Health Commission, and it's around $240 million is is sort of the, uh, the kind of the ballpark, if you will, of what the ask will be. I think uh, the governor's office and the health department are going through kind of the final iterations of what what the proposal will look like in a formal sense. But I think we've known this. It's something I've talked to you, Abdul, about before. Indiana ranks uh, low in our public health measures, our outcomes. We, we have high rates of chronic disease, um, of, of, of tobacco use, cancer incidents, uh, heart disease, lung disease. and uh, But our public health spending has also been low. And we know that if we are Able to increase that on in a per capita basis uh, to something hopefully closer to you know the, the the national average that that's out there. We're far below that. Uh, that will help us uh, keep a lot of people healthy. Uh, I think it will save a significant amount of, uh, of money, uh, and uh, it's just something we really need to do. Uh, to kind of learn some of the lessons of the last couple of years.
0: Our guest on the program today is our good friend Brian Tabor. Brian is with the Indiana Hospital Association. We're checking in uh, on sort of the state of hospital health uh, here uh, in Indiana. Uh, Brian, I know uh, last session and uh, no pri- hospitals have come under a lot of uh, uh, criticism for your pricing and your price structure and your openness and transparency. What's been going on with that area lately?
1: Yeah, qu- uh, quite a bit. Um, I'll kind of you know take it um, in reverse a little bit since you listed it. Uh, you- We've talked about this before, Abdul. I remember you bringing up kind of that, that example of of the pricing. Um, uh, I think it was uh, your wife had a wrist surgery or something, yeah, had, right? Yeah, she, she broke arm a
0: few years ago. Right. And I kind of covered just how much it would cost to fix a broken wrist, and that's it. No other medical complication, mm-hmm. and no one could tell me anything.
1: Right, right. Well, I think um, – I really think there's been – Uh, A sea change in terms of the availability of that kind of information. Uh, We uh, just uh, this week announced uh, that a a private business called uh, Turquoise Health, it's a health technology company that's one of the leaders in taking Healthcare price data and making it useful for consumers. Uh, it's out of California. They, they've been taking all the files that are out there now under some federal rules, and they uh, have uh, deemed Indiana the fourth most transparent state. Uh, in the country and our members even with all the the difficulties over the last couple of years dealing with the pandemic uh, worked really hard and i'm proud of the work that they've done we're a very transparent state and that information that's out there now healthcare pricing across the board by insurer um, there are cash prices available companies like turquoise it's a lot of data sometimes it's almost so much data you need like a, a turquoise or a partner to make sense of it uh, but they have a really powerful tool and i i really think it's it's been transformational
0: um, so how would how how does that work? Do I like hey, I've I've got a cold. I've got you no know, broken leg. I you know type in Brian Tapers Hospital Incorporated. Here's how much a broken leg costs to fix it.
1: Yeah, uh, and I I'll just kind of using Turquoise's tool yeah. as an example. We don't have any affiliation with them, but, um, you know, did appreciate their uh, their ranking. Um, and, and so I've taken a look at their model and the way their tool works, uh, what they do is exactly that. You can search by your zip code. Uh, you can put in a specific hospital. You can enter information, put in your zip code, and then the type of procedure. And uh, it will come up with prices at local hospitals but they also have uh, beyond just the hospitals they may have surgery centers or clinics or other options like that so a lot of the data that's out there now um, they're looking at it sort of across the whole continuum and trying to create one-stop shops now i think there'll be different models out there but it's it's a lot closer to i think what people had have wanted, you know, an Expedia or, you know, the kind of Travelocity model, uh, that you might have for airline tickets where are able. Now, I, I still think there are some fundamental things about healthcare. There's always going to be more variation. You know, yeah. people are just inherently different, um, depending on their, their conditions and so forth. But, uh, we also now within the hospitals, uh, are working to provide out of pocket estimates for patients and working with them. Uh, there are new, uh, Uh, laws that have been enacted here in Indiana and at the federal level to prevent uh, things like surprise billing. So there was a lot of legislation and activity back in 2020. Uh, We talked about some of that then. And some of those things that have been put in place are uh, either now have been implemented or just, just coming online.
0: Our guest on the program today is our good friend Brian Tabor. Brian is the head of the Indiana Hospital Association. So we're sort of doing a set of who's your health from the hospital's uh, perspective, particularly as Indiana lawmakers get ready to come back and return uh, this legislative session. Uh, Brian, I I recall, I don't think it was last year. I think it was like maybe a a year or two before. There was a question about uh, hospitals and sort of satellite offices and whatever happened with that.
1: Uh, with the kind of micro
0: hospitals or the payment. Yeah. So the the payment for micro hospitals. Yeah.
1: Uh, there was a, a couple of different issues that may have affected, uh, kind of satellite models. Um, I think the issue that you may be referring to was something that was brought up back in 2020. And that was, uh, the kind of how a, the payment is structured for a hospital versus, um, a physician office that may be part of the hospital and, um. That is something that has been a lot of discussions between hospitals and insurance companies. Uh, It's something that has been um, probably a regular topic of those ongoing negotiations. Um, The government has um, made some tweaks in the policy. In fact, there was a rule from the federal government that just came out. Uh, yesterday or the day before that made some tweaks in those payments um, with respect to, to Medicare. Uh, so I think it's something that you know um, some folks have talked about. We think that when you look at what happens in a hospital and even those physician offices that are part of a hospital, they're held to a higher standard. They often treat uh, sicker patients. Um, and we think that hospital payment is appropriate. So uh, there was really nothing that was enacted to, to change that. Um, whether or not that will come up uh, as an issue, I I, I can't say.
0: Uh, how are we with hospitals just overall uh, in Indiana? Because I know there was some talk about uh, like IU Health like buying some more smaller you know, rural hospitals, uh, and that it was sort of decrease competition. Um, so what what is the state of our hospitals as far as just the number of hospitals here in Indiana? Yeah,
1: well there are about a hundred and we have about one hundred and seventy members. About one hundred and twenty twenty five of those uh, one hundred twenty five are kind of your. Your medical hospitals. We have behavioral health hospitals and others, but those would be your hospitals that have a, a blue H sign. There's an emergency room. It's kind of what you know that you, you would think of if you just say the word hospital. It's about 125. Um, probably about two thirds of those are part of a, a health system, uh, but uh, really, I- Indiana, whether hospitals are part of a health system or not, uh, we have some of the most competitive marketplaces in the country. You look around here in central Indiana, for example, you've got IU Health, uh, uh, Ascension, St. Vincent, the Franciscan Alliance Community Health Network, and then county hospitals uh, and from Hendricks County and Hamilton all the way around uh, the donut. So um, there have been some smaller hospitals that have joined a system. Abdul, do used the word uh, kind of buying up. A, a lot of times what we've seen is hospitals in financial distress have needed to join a health system. They need that partner. Um, it's really been a lifeline for some. Uh, so I think sometimes there's a perception that when a hospital becomes part of a system uh, that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it can be a negative. But we also don't want to see what we had in Fayette County. Back in 2019, where the hospital closed and went bankrupt, uh, and at that time there wasn't a hospital that was able to come in and and save it. It was in dire straits. Fortunately, now uh, the hospital, Reed Health, uh, there in Richmond, is reinvesting. They're going to open up basically a hospital there in that community, which is which is a wonderful thing for a very a ch- a community with a lot of financial challenges. Um, but I think we have to remember that sometimes. Um, you know, rural hospitals, it's very challenging to make it. And so becoming part of a health system can be a way that you maintain access in that community.
0: I was going to ask you about uh, how is, uh, who's your health, particularly when it comes to rural areas, where there may not be as many sort of sort of, sort of of hospitals and medical facilities as are here in uh, Indianapolis and in the suburban areas and Fort Wayne, Evansville, that sort of place.
1: You know, Indiana is holding its own. There are certainly some risks. Uh, there was an independent study recently that said in Indiana we have uh, the highest risk of Rural hospital closure than our neighboring states. Um, there, there have been a couple of these these closures, but we haven't seen them near to the degree that we've seen if we look uh, south uh, in in the U.S. So if you go kind of through Kentucky into Tennessee, all the way down from Georgia over to Texas. There is has been a, a wave of hospital closures, uh, something like 140, 150 since 2010. Uh, this year alone, there have been 22 closures or bankruptcies of hospitals, um, not just r- rural hospitals, um, some pretty significant safety net hospitals in Atlanta, Cleveland, Chicago. So th- there are a lot of headwinds, and, and we don't want to see uh, rural hospitals close because not only are they the hub of healthcare for those communities, uh, they're often some of the largest employers and really a vital part of the kind of quality of life of that those places. So I am worried about the future of some of the rural hospitals, but we're we're kind of hanging in there right now.
0: Brian Tabor here with us for a few more minutes on the program today. Uh, COVID, like I said, has sort of died down a bit. Uh, but also, I'm assuming so is the COVID funding. So, mm-hmm. what have you folks done to sort of? make up for for that or is it, or is it just a wash because you don't have the covid anymore you don't necessarily need the funding anymore
1: no uh i think uh you know, f- we we still are treating you know a number of of covid patients and there are kind of these other surges uh that we're that we're seeing i think the government funding was absolutely a lifeline you know we really appreciate congress moving so quickly uh to to be able to support hospitals because you know when we're essentially all shut down uh there's uh i mean. to it was kind of staring over the edge of the cliff, right? And so the federal money from the CARES Act and others really allowed uh, us to keep doors open. And since then, there's just been a lot of change in the industry that has driven costs up dramatically. So because our workforce is so scarce, we're using travel uh, travel nurses, uh, other, other agency professionals, so not just nurses, but physicians and others. And for many hospitals in Indiana, that's driven their wages and their benefit costs up 30% or more. And there's no funding for that. So with the, the COVID funding, we've s- sort of kind of moved past that now, and costs have gone up. So this is a challenging financial time, and, and those cost structures aren't changing. Uh, they're they're going to stay that way. It's not a temporary thing. So it's, it's tough right now, to, um That's why we're seeing a lot of hospitals with, uh, with losses on their books.
0: So would your life be easier if who's just ate, right, and exercise, stops, cut back on smoking?
1: Uh, I think it would help. It would. <laughs> I mean, it, it look. Because just a
0: healthier lifestyle.
1: Yeah, I think. I think um, absolutely. I mean, is it is it the only thing that that's gonna you know help us um, uh, address the needs of affordability and and reducing costs? Um, no, there's other things that we can do. There's other things that we can do. Looking at other parts of the healthcare sector, there's things that we're doing, um, the initiatives that, that our members are taking, but for whether it's for businesses or the government or everybody else. Yes, we are all paying in some way part of the tab for that poor health that we have. Uh, It costs, um, you know. We know that maybe 5% of the population studies show uh, generate maybe 50% or more of the total costs because of chronic disease. So the more we can do for prevention through things like the Governor's Public Health Commission or the the Behavioral Health Commission, we have a behavioral health crisis right now as well. So I think that's something I think lawmakers are going to really look at investing in behavioral health, which is also critical. Those things will help all of us save money in
0: the long run, no question. Uh, Final question for you, my friend. It's going to come totally out of the blue, so just be ready. I'm ready. And and be prepared. Uh, Has the Hospital Association taken a position on marijuana, particularly medical?
1: We have not. We have looked at that before, uh, and we really felt – we we talked about it. Uh, We – at, at the time, we're looking both to the federal change and whether or not the the federal government would reschedule that. And um, we've we've kind of deferred to our medical professionals. Now, certainly in the hospitals, you know, we we employ many medical professionals, and so. Um, but I think looking at, we wanted to hear more from uh, the Academy of Family Physicians, the you know other medical groups that I think uh, are out there you know, working with kids every day, seeing some of those impact. We certainly want to hear from um, a veterans groups who I know have played a big role in the debate. Um, I, I think there's quite a lot of passion uh, on, on both sides. Um, and I think we're looking for just a little bit more data on the medical side uh, to be able to to make a call there.
0: Well, whenever somebody asks me how far is India away from legalized marijuana, I say 75 miles, just get i 74. <laughs> draft to illinois exit 220 make a right uh, then make another right and you'll run into the sunny side almost dispensary.
1: all around us now is that right i think so yeah. you're
0: just you're just absolutely about, correct my yeah, friend yes all right uh anything else uh, i missed my
1: friend no go? uh no I, I would just you know i would encourage everyone to uh to stay safe uh we're getting into the, the type of year uh, the time of year where uh, we do see flu season uh a tick up so uh you know d- just you know, take care of yourself and wash your hands. R- wash <laughs> your hands uh, and um, get your get your get your flu vax. Uh, it, it'll help you. If you, if you, even if you do get it, you'll you'll feel a lot better and you'll help you'll help keep people safe around you. There's a lot of immunocompromised people out there, and so um, you know, just do your part to to keep everybody healthy for the holidays.
0: All right. Well, Brian Tabor, our good friend from the Indiana Hospital Association, Brian, my friend, always good to see you. I'll see you over at the State House.
1: Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Abdul.